Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking into the Grad Girl Wellness Podcast, a space designed to inspire and highlight the stories of women of color in graduate school who are prioritizing their overall health and wellness while pursuing higher education. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about an event I'm co-hosting alongside Black in Grad School on Saturday, March 13th from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time called The Wellness Reset. This is a mid-semester virtual retreat designed to provide students with a space for reflection and rejuvenation in the midst of the school year. There will be a session for sound bath meditation, yoga with one of our previous podcast guests, and I will be facilitating the journaling section. All of the sessions are designed to help keep students grounded as we approach the final stretch of the semester. I'll link more information in the show notes and I look forward to seeing you there. So with that said, let's get into today's episode. So hey, Shanice, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Excited to be here. I'm happy to have you and to talk with you. Um, So, okay, so let's jump into things. Um, If you could, please let us know a little bit about yourself, your discipline, and what year you are in your program. Okay. So I am Shanice Jones Cameron. I am a third-year PhD student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the Department of Communication. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in English and a bachelor's degree in political science from North Carolina Central University. I have a master's degree in communication from UNC Charlotte. And I wrote my master's thesis on the Read podcast and focusing on Black feminist themes in the podcast. And that... After I defended my master's thesis and I started my PhD program, that led me to not only thinking about podcasting, Black folks, social media, and kind of engaging in these interracial discourses through social media, I also started thinking about that in conjunction with health. So now in my PhD program, I study Black women's well-being discourses on social media. So I published a paper on Black women and yoga and Instagram. And I'm interested in how these digital well-being spaces become a disruption in the ways that we are conditioned to think about Black womanhood, um, Black female bodies, and also health more broadly on a broader level. So a lot of my research focuses on like how does the way that we think about health impact certain groups and how does that then kind of change, shift, affect how we think about health and health as an entry point for studying Black women as scholars? And another added layer to that becomes how are Black women specifically using information and communication technologies to kind of shift these definitions of the way we think about health as individuals and how we think about our collective health. And I'm also a mom of three. I have three-year-old boy-girl twins and I also have a four-year-old daughter. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. So first, I just want to say I grew up in Charlotte, so I'm repping the 704. Oh, wow. My husband's a professor at UNC Charlotte and I I love Charlotte as a city, as a a university. That's so cool. Making connections already. Um, And so I like listening to you talk about your work. I I just think it's so interesting that we met on Instagram, right? And we're both interested Mm -hmm. in using that space um, to improve the outcomes and the experiences of women of color, particularly around their health. Um, So that's like absolutely 
dope. So how did you get into that? Like what sparked your interest first with the read and then moving forward? Mm -hmm. So the funny thing is when I started my master's program, I had no interest in studying like health, well-being, none of that. Like that, that just was not the move for me at the time. But when I started my master's degree, I was like, oh, there's so many interesting conversations on Twitter. I want to think about how Black folks are using these social media platforms to communicate and to create all of these identities. And so when I started my master's program, that was my focus. That was what I wanted to study. And my master's program at UNC Charlotte is a generalist program. And as I mentioned, I did not major in communication as an undergraduate. I majored in political science and English. So coming into my master's program, we were encouraged to get at least get acclimated with all of the different sub areas in communication. So communication is, I'm not sure how familiar you are with communication as a discipline, but it's like inherently interdisciplinary. Like it's, it's a very broad field. There's health communication, there's organizational communication, there's like critical communication that can then be applied to health and organizations. And then there's rhetoric is also like a sub area of communication. So there's all these different sub areas. I had no idea about all the different sub areas. All I knew is that I wanted to study black folk and social media. That's all I pretty much knew. And at the time, my love and obsession with podcasting as a medium, as a way of communicating just started to blossom in my master's program. And I just pretty much became obsessed with podcasting. And so that is what led me to studying the read. And so during the course of my master's program, because we were encouraged to study or at least study in these different sub areas, I took my first health communication class. And I developed kind of this love-hate relationship with health communication. Like I, I love, okay, let me take a step back. So I developed somewhat of a love-hate relationship with health communication because on one hand I realized like, okay, like this is really cool. Like using my grounded theories to parse an interview about someone talking about their experience with this illness or talking about their experience with grieving or coping, like this is really cool. Um, but on the other hand, on like on the flip side, I was, I was shook um, in some ways to learn how Black women's health was often talked about in health communication in particular, because that's what my entry point into health scholarship was, but also recognizing that it represented a larger orientation for studying Black women's health. And so what I found is that oftentimes with health communication or even like the public health scholarship that I often dive into because that, like I said, communication is very interdisciplinary. I started noticing that the emphasis on disease, illness, pathology, and discrimination, those were the guiding paradigms that were often used to talk about Black women's health and Black women's bodies. And so for me, I was just thinking like, this is really sad. This is really depressing. And while I think that health communication and studying 
health is something that I am very much invested in. I paused with like shifting my scholarly trajectory to health because I did not know if I necessarily had the bandwidth to continue with studying health in this way, to where it was focused on illness, where it was focused on disease, where it was focused on this model of this is a body that's considered healthy and this is a body that is considered malfunctioning. I was very much not interested in studying this, studying health from this kind of like binary where it's like healthy, not healthy. And so to kind of make a long story, a longer story, a little bit shorter, I ended up um, in the first year of my PhD program, I started making the connection between, okay, this is how I'm studying health as a scholar. Like if I were to, or if I'm, as I'm seeing health in health, as it's like operating in the world. This is how I'm seeing it as a scholar from this very like disease center perspective, health disparities, illness, discrimination. And what I began to notice is that my social media feeds, so like my Instagram feed, for instance, or the podcast that I was listening to, I started noticing that it offered, like the colloquial discourses offered a different perspective that I very much needed at the time because it was so, I mean, honestly, it was, it was, it was very, it was very, it was just a lot like studying black women's health from this perspective, all of these health disparities, because as a black woman scholar, it kind of becomes like, okay, I can read all of these statistics and all of these health disparities, but I also recognize that there are people and there are lives that are being represented through this datification. And I think about these statistics in the context of these represent like the women in my life that I love, like the black women in my life that I love. It represents the potential future for my daughters. And I really needed to kind of come to that conclusion of my social media feed where I am seeing black yogis, where I am seeing black women talk about wellness and well-being and talking about making space for this holistic view of their health. I noticed that there was something very special here. And a lot of the scholarly literature about black folks and social media is often aimed at like Black Lives Matter. And Andre Brock, he has a book on distributed blackness. It came out last year. He talks about how social media and when we're thinking about social media and black folks, how we often think about it in terms of like deficiency and struggle, but we need to be creating space for examining black pleasure and black joy. And so those are some of the ideas that fortunately for me, as I started progressing in my PhD program, I started combining these paradigms that I became interested in. The critical health communication aspect, the media studies aspect being like obsessed with podcasts and Instagram and Twitter, as well as thinking about black women's intellectual tradition and black feminism, like I studied in my master's degree. Um, now it was just kind of coming together as a very interesting project that I could not have predicted um, those years ago when I took my first health communication class. Mm -hmm.
No. <clears throat> I think that's a wonderful story. And I'm just thinking about the ways how, because you insisted upon doing work that centers like black joy and happiness and health, you've created a space for other people who are already doing that, right? Um, and so, and I was also thinking when you were talking about often how sometimes using social media is kind of like looked at as kind of like a, a negative thing, right? Or like people of color are the, use it more often, right? Because that seems to imply we're wasting time or something of that mm -hmm. nature. But, there's this other side of it, right? Where it's building community and where it's productive um, and like exactly. healthy, literally healthy for us to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So tell, like, I'm, I'm glad that you came to the conclusions that you did, to, that you did. I think sometimes research works that way too. Um, and I think also like looking at your own experience, right? Looking at your own feed and theorizing from your own life is what brought you to that, right? And I think that's the richness right. of like the black feminist tradition, right? Um, mm -hmm. it gets to where to you doing the work that you're doing, which I think is really important. So, with that said, what does your self care look like as a graduate student? Well, <laughs> my self care um, has absolutely been a journey. Um, right now, I'm in a place where my self care and my well being like it has to be a priority. It is non negotiable. Um, I have been vegan for over two years. Um, about 60-ish percent of my diet right now is comprised of whole plant foods. So I'm transitioning to a whole foods plant-based diet, which is still a vegan diet. It's just like a vegan diet without processed foods. Um, so that's part of how I am like centering my well-being in this season. Um, I practice yoga, I do indoor cycling. Um, I trained for my first half marathon last year. It was canceled due to COVID, but you know, I still ran those 13.1 miles. So Good for you. Yeah, that's that was that was a thing that I was happy to do. Um, I go to therapy and no matter how busy I am, I take time for creativity and my goals like outside, even like outside of the academy, but connected to the academy. So that's part of why I spend so much time on my podcast, like Her Guided Evolution and creating content for that, because that's something that brings me like immense joy. I just love creating content. Um, I've been blogging since I was like 15 and doing web and graphic design and development and coding. All of that is just a little passion outside of my academic passions that I absolutely make time for non-negotiable. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying any of this to like put myself on a pedestal because I'm definitely like still a work in well-being trained, but overall I am very much, and to kind of circle back to another part of your question, no, it was not always like this. Um, <laughs> it was not, it was like I mentioned, um, I've always kind of been that skinny girl who just ate everything like sugar and just love, you know, sugar and cheese was a very big part of my life before I went vegan. Never really like exercising because I'm not a super fan of sweating. Um, <laughs> and that sounds probably kind of shallow, but I'm just saying, I'm just, I just was not a big fan of sweating. Um, I was someone who always thought like, oh, that would be kind of cool to be vegan and, you know, learning all these different ways to kind of prepare foods. But I was also like, I need some cheese. I need some chicken and I could never be vegan. Find that it's the best diet for me and for our family. Um, but a lot of it was also because I, 
had a very difficult pregnancy with my twins. And I was at a really, really low place after I had my twins. So just for some context, my four-year-old, my oldest daughter was three months old when I started my master's degree. And my twins were seven months old, like right before the semester where I was supposed to finish writing and defend my master's thesis. And somehow I made it. Um, Somehow I made it. Um, And honestly, to be completely transparent, that time of my life after I had my twins, like it was, it was bizarre. Um, So my husband and I were actually sleeping like in three hour increments when our twins were born. Um, And I would actually take a moment and just write a little bit. Like I like take moments like during the day to just work on my master's thesis because I was struggling to care for these twins and my toddler at the time. I had this master's thesis to write. I actually became like this reprieve and something that I could focus my energy into that was not the crushing pressure, which is what I felt at the time. I'm trying to manage all of these responsibilities. So as I was kind of hitting that low point with my mental health, after my twins were born, after my difficult pregnancy, I started realizing, like, I just kind of got to a point where I was just like, I cannot go on like this. Like, I cannot go on sleeping in three hour increments, not exercising, eating a bowl of rice in the middle of the day because I'm trying to like write all the time. Like I just kind of got to a point where I was just like, okay, like I don't know exactly what I need to do to feel better, but I know it makes sense. And so that's when I started becoming more consistent with my yoga. Um, I've been practicing yoga probably off and on since about 2013. So that's when I started becoming a bit more consistent with my yoga. My twins were probably about six months old when I started, when we fully transitioned to a vegan diet, we had tried and failed several times at that point, but my twins were about six months, six or seven months old when we finally went vegan. And that's when, like right before I started my PhD program, that's when I was like, okay, let me really start honing in on what brings me joy, what helps me feel a bit more grounded as I am entering into the season, which will undoubtedly be like very stressful, which a PhD program is undoubtedly very stressful. So after I started having children or after I had my twins, that was kind of a turning point for me, but it was by no means like the linear path to like, oh, my well-being journey. It was more hit several low points during my first year of my PhD program and then recognize like, okay, I need to go back to what was working. So that's kind of how um, I started making that shift to where my well-being started to be something where I wanted to put in the forefront. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to touch on something that you said that I am, you know, it really resonated with me is this, this idea that we can often focus on our work as a way to kind of distract us from everything else that's going on in the world that is like the, giving us, you know, pressure. And so I was curious, and can that, that's something that I continually do. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was curious, like, once you started prioritizing your wellness, if your relationship to like your academic work changed at all, or like the way you approached it or thought about it? Yes, definitely. Oh, in so many ways. Um, 
So one of the things that like emphasizing my self-care and my well-being through all of this has done for me is it helped me to recover my identity in some ways. So as someone who has to manage multiple identities, like I remember when I started my PhD program, I felt very much like I felt like I was in one space when I was at home with my children, I was a mom. Then when I went to grad, when I went to school and I was sitting in my seminars and in class or teaching as part of, for my um, PhD, I felt like I was in instructor mode or in grad student mode, in advisee mode and mom mode. So all of these different identities kind of aggregated to the situation where I felt like, well, you know, I used to like web design and I used to like doing these things, but I don't even know who I am anymore. Like I am just, my identity is just fluid based on the context. So that grounding was pretty much not there. But once I started to emphasize my self-care, started saying like, okay, yes, I do have three children and I do have, you know, this degree that I'm trying to get. Like I do have all of these things going on, but I also, am I breaking up? No, you're good. No, okay. I got a message that my connection was unstable, which I'm very much used to seeing. Um, so just went to check. <laughs> but but I started realizing like once I started saying like, okay, my self-care and my like well-being and ensuring that I am prioritizing myself, once I started doing that, it helped me to be more grounded and more centered on who I was. Like I started getting back into web design, which was something even back to when I was a teenager that was just always like a source of like joy and refuge for me. Um, starting to run, um, doing running and yoga, like those were things that, that movement, I really needed it. And it felt like my, it, I just felt like the anxiety kind of melting off of me in a way. And these are the things that allowed me to honestly become like to show up more in my academic life as a grad student and as a mom, because I was creating space for these things that I found joy in and that helped me to feel grounded. So an example of this is like, for me, it kind of feels like at the time when I decided like, okay, I have had this idea for this wellness space for women for so long. Like, I think, like, I had the idea for, like, four or five years before I actually started, like, executing the plan. But, you know, that's the mindset stuff that I won't go into. But it's definitely a thing that I did for a good um, probably four or five years. But I thought, like, okay, yes, I have all these things going on. But I am absolutely going to still start this wellness brand that I have wanted to start for years. And although it seemed like counterproductive at the time, it seemed like completely nonsensical. Like in my mind, I'm just like, Shanice, why would you add this onto everything else you have to do? And although it seemed counterproductive at the time to really like say like, okay, I'm making space for this. It actually helped me be more creative in my academic writing. It helped me kind of focus more as a scholar because I think part of it was just like opening that space for creativity allowed me to be more creative in other areas. So I started thinking like, okay, well, 
Okay, so I spend, I often spend 20 minutes working on my academic work when I have blocks of time. Then I'll take a 10 minute break, break to work on my podcast or to work on something for her guided evolution. And what I found is when I take those 10 minute breaks to like take notes for my episode, or I would take the 10 minute break to do yoga for a few minutes, like that would actually help me get into a flow for writing. So by and large, like the self-care and managing my time more effectively so that I could create space for you know, centering myself and prioritizing my well-being, it helped me to move through some of the academic challenges that are inevitable in grad school. Um, it just helped me navigate those a lot, a lot more easily, for sure. No, I, I'm like sitting here nodding my head because what you just said about like kind of delving into things like you know, web design when you were 15 that helped you to like show up more fully in school, like that's exactly me, but it's with dance, right? Like I got back into like, I used to be a competitive dancer. I got back into that. I would show up to class, like, you know, my shoulders back, I was ready to go, right? <laughs> um, right. It's just like, I could, I got back in touch with like my whole self, right? I just wasn't this student, you know? And that student wasn't right. happy anyway. So I didn't want to just be that. Um, so um, that completely yes. resonated with me. So you mentioned, you alluded to this and I kind of wanted to talk more about her guided evolution. Could you tell us what that is? Yes, so her guided evolution is my weekly podcast and a digital platform that I created to help black women in particular who are in their careers and who are driven in their careers or have all of these other priorities that may take up a lot of space in their lives. I created Her Guided Evolution to serve as like a source of inspiration and motivation to help women manage their time most effectively so that they can create space for self-care, any well-being practices, personal growth, how they define it, be it starting a business or going back to school. Like Her Guided Evolution is meant to kind of fill that space and kind of bridge the gap between this is who I currently am and this is how I'm currently managing my life and my time and this is where I want to be. So a space where we kind of work through some of that ambiguity and where I am introspective and use my own experiences to help hopefully like share a different way of thinking about our time and the way we exist and operate in the world so that we can feel our best as well as feel grounded and supported as we go throughout our day. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that would be especially useful for grad students. I, I sometimes feel like I'm in this bubble, right? Like you sign up for like a five-year or seven-year program and like, you know, like I think that kind of like changes our perspective on time and how we experience things. Like our time is based on deadlines or based on conferences or based on field work. Yes. Um, and so that kind of kind of sets us apart from other people um, kind of in the general public. So, okay, so let's mm -hmm. talk more about time, right? Let's give some people some, some tips. Um, so first, what are your, what, um, what are some struggles that you see in graduate students regarding time? Mm -hmm. Yes, so I think procrastination is probably a big one, um, very relatable. Procrastination isn't something that I 
struggle with too much now, but it was definitely something that I have struggled with in the past. So procrastination is one that I see. And I think with the procrastination piece, like you have a deadline, you have something to do, so you wait to the last minute. I think a lot of times people will think or kind of beat themselves up and think like, oh my gosh, I'm so lazy. I don't have the willpower to work um, as much as I need to be working. But I think in all actuality, in my experience, there is often something deeper then I don't have time or not, I don't have time, but the procrastination piece, there's usually something different in the procrastination piece, as well as the, I don't have time. If we are thinking in terms of like, I saw a meme that says like, in grad, welcome to grad school, where like eating and hanging out with friends and communicating with family is a form of procrastination. Like, <laughs> I think there's often something deeper underneath the procrastination piece, as well as the, I don't have time piece. Um, it could be like fear or confusion or a lack of confidence in some areas. So procrastination is something that I think a lot of people struggle with, particularly in grad school, when so much of it is so intimidating, where you are diving into theories or methods that are honestly like very difficult. And I think that's something that um, kind of adds to this, like, like kind of fuels that cycle of self-doubt and fuels that desire to procrastinate because so many of us are kind of suffering in silence to where it's just like, so I can't really admit that I don't understand this because I don't want to look crazy in this class, like I'm not smart. So that kind of fuels it because you kind of get this idea whether or not it's realistic or accurate or not that people get something that you don't. And so that kind of feeds the cycle of self-doubt, which I think then leads people to procrastinating, even if you're not thinking of, even if you're not looking a bit deeper to see like, okay, why am I procrastinating? Um, another thing that I often see is not being intentional about social media usage. So like we kind of hinted at this earlier, like social media, like it's not bad. And just as someone who studies media, like, I really have a strong disdain when people like blame social media for things like, oh, social media is ruining relationships or, oh, social media is doing these things or, oh, social media is like making everyone lazy. Like, I don't agree with any of those perspectives. Um, I don't <laughs> like those perspectives, but I think with anything, like swap out social media for any activity that is not the work that is in the back of your mind that you think you need to be doing. And it becomes less about social media more about how am I being intentional or how am I not being intentional about my time and where my time is going. I think in our contemporary moment, um, social media is often the go-to place where we're not necessarily being super intentional about our time. Um, but I think once again, it's often connected to something a little bit deeper. Um, when you we are spending time scrolling mindlessly through Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, I think oftentimes those activities like serve as a distraction for what we may be feeling. And so that's one that I think is a big one as well. Like just not being intentional about our social media usage or our media uses in general, like binge watching Netflix or Hulu. Like these aren't necessarily bad. And once again, like I, I have a strong like disdain for the 
blaming the technology for things because we have agency. We are human beings with agency. Um, but I think just not being intentional about where our time is going. And oftentimes that takes the form of social media or a different media to distract ourselves. I think that is a big one as well. And another one, I would say letting small distractions keep us from the big picture and accomplishing the bigger tasks. Like that's something that as a recovering perfectionist, I can definitely relate to. So an example of this would be like, I have a paper due, but I'm spending too much time trying to decode this one source. So Foucault, I'm thinking about you, um, <laughs> thinking about like, okay, I don't have five hours to spend on, I don't know, discipline and punish because I have to focus on getting this assignment done. But I think those smaller tasks and trying to dive into those smaller tasks rather than focusing on the bigger picture, that also becomes one that um, can be a very big hindrance to time management. But I think all of all three of these, the procrastination and not being intentional about like our media usage or letting small distractions keep us from like accomplishing these bigger tasks. I think all of these are kind of connected to this idea of we may not be aware of what we're thinking and how that is impacting our time management and how that is impacting how we are moving throughout our day. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this um, starts with what's going on in our minds and how is that translating into the way we arrange our time, spend our time, and specifically how we may be leaning into distractions because there may be something else that we rather not address. Uh, I think that's big, this leaning into distractions as a distraction. Um, okay, so so giving those things, do you have any suggestions then on how we can kind of, one, kind of like excavate or really uncover what's really bothering us? Um, yeah, so like, do you have any suggestions then on kind of how to be more mindful? Yes, yeah, so something that I find really helpful is guided journaling. And the way I think about journaling, like I used to be one of those people where it's just like, okay, well, I'm going to journal and I'm going to journal every day for 10 minutes. I'm just going to write and reflect on my day. Okay, no. So you can probably hear by the way I'm talking about this, like that just does not work for me. But I think about guided journaling as a way to target something specific. So for example, Her Guided Evolution, I have an episode about like, have exercising self-compassion on those days you aren't being productive. And I think that's one of the critical pieces that oftentimes when we talk about like time management and productivity that gets lost. Like you're never going to, in my opinion, you're not going to get anywhere if you are just dragging yourself for not being productive. So one of the things that I recommend is guided journaling, particularly on those days where you get to in the day and just like, you know, I, this was kind of a, this was, I gotta take this ill for today because I was supposed to finish this and it just did not happen. Like one of those things is guided journaling with the intention of being more compassionate with yourself when you fall short of your expectations. Um, another thing that I would say is surround yourself with, 
like inspiration, motivation, and positivity as much as you can. Like, particularly for parents, I have an episode on how to have more patience with your kids, because I know as a parent and as a grad student parent, when I am stressed in one area of my life, be it school, it is a lot more difficult to manage my mind and my feelings when I am watching my kids and I have my three small children screaming and throwing tantrums, crawling on me. But when I am making sure that I'm taking care of myself and all of this, that means for me, like eating nourishing foods, running, cycling, practicing yoga, leaning on my repository of like positive resources that I can refer back to when I have those things handy and I'm being really solid with my self-care that tends to help me extend my patience that helps me extend my self-compassion on those days that I fall short with productivity so being very mindful of like what are the resources that you can access when you get to a point that you are not feeling super great about what you accomplished or when you are feeling like you were kind of stuck in the cycle of procrastinating or self-doubt. Like what are the resources at your disposal that you can access to help you kind of bolster and strengthen that muscle of self-compassion as well as getting a handle on your brain so that you can act in spite of how you're thinking. So my, a couple of resources in my repository of like just trying to make sure that I have things to access when I'm struggling or when my productivity isn't flowing the way that I want. I love therapy for black girls as a podcast, a platform. Um, Another one of my favorites is the Life Coach School podcast. That's another one. She, Brooke Castillo, she talks a lot about like managing your mind and it has just been, that was probably one of the podcast that I that has really been influential in my life as I think about how much agency I have and my just autonomy and power as a person. Um, There's a lot of good Facebook groups, um, particularly especially for um, Black women, like Self-Care for Black Girls. I think that's the name of the group, Black Women Who Organize. Um, Specifically for students, I think a lot of us are may already be following these pages, but your page, Grad Girl Wellness, of course, is an amazing resource. Um, just being in this space where it's just like, you know what, other people can relate to feeling like this and other people can relate to the struggle. That's something that I think on a very, just even on an interpersonal level um, that can be very powerful when we are struggling. Um, some of the other pages like Academiology and Scholar Culture, some of these are spaces that I'll go look at or read when I'm just like, you know what, I need to feel like I am not the only person in the world who is spending hours and hours working and feeling like I'm accomplishing nothing. Like, so those are the things that um, tend to help me. So definitely like thinking about like podcasts and social media accounts that can put you in a space where you can kind of put some distance between you and your thoughts. Oftentimes if that's what's like, acting as kind of like this invisible barrier for you, those tend to be, those things tend to be very helpful for me when I think about, um, think about how can I show up for myself and show up in my life in a way that I can be proud of, even when I am struggling, 
what can I do to like kind of facilitate that is usually going to fall in the realm of accessing some resources and things that are at my disposal to kind of get me in that state of mind. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so cool. That was like really, really insightful. I was here taking notes. Um, so I wanted to move us to the lightning round. And this is where you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. So okay. the first one is, if you could, please give us three words to describe wellness in graduate school. I would say necessary, restorative, and difficult. That's honest. Um, cool. All right. So um, two invaluable resources that have helped you in your wellness journey. Hmm. Two invaluable resources. Um, I would say therapy for sure. Therapy and my own personal like willingness to do the work, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm to do the work on myself and to be introspective and be being very honest about like my issues that I am working through. Awesome, okay. And for the final question, um, could you please provide listeners one piece of advice? So these are women in grad school, women of color in grad school. Mm. My one piece of advice is Self-compassion. I think self-compassion is very difficult. I think it is a journey for all of us, but I think self-compassion is something that is very critical as we are embarking on what is arguably one of the most difficult, like, I don't want to say one of the most difficult, what, what is a very difficult space for us to navigate as women of color, um, the academy and all the academy, um, all of the structures in the academy that may not be necessarily as supportive or built for us, I would say self-compassion. I think it's very easy to assume that we don't know things or assume that we have to be exceptional all of the time. And the self-criticism that often may follow us when we fall short and say something in a seminar that didn't quite make sense to pan out or get feedback on a paper that says like, girl, this is trash, what are you doing? Um, of course, paraphrasing. Um, <laughs> but I think self-compassion becomes one of the things that I think we must emphasize because, and this is something that is a constant like journey for me as well, but it's just something that I refer back to when I get to those moments of, this is really trying, this is very difficult. I'm not these things. I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish this or I don't have enough publications or I should be done with this assignment by now. Like I think really reminding yourself to lean into that self-compassion is what I would like to emphasize because no good comes from dragging ourselves. No good comes from 
assuming that we are deficient in some way. No good comes from that. It is literally like the opposite of what we need in order to move forward in whatever area of our lives. And just want to emphasize self-compassion. Like it's hard, but it's something it's something that is worth like referring back to and reminding ourselves like we are capable. We would not have got accepted into these programs if we were not capable. We have to navigate a whole lot of things that are trash oftentimes. And having compassion for ourselves in those moments and knowing that regardless, like, I am going to have the confidence to show up for myself and support myself in this moment, whatever that looks like for me, I think that is probably the most crucial piece of advice that I could give anyone in grad school, especially women of color in grad school, self-compassion all the way. I think that's a perfect point to end on. So Shanice, if people wanted to connect with you um, to find out more about Her Guided Revolution, how could they do that? Where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, Her Guided Evolution. Um, my website is herguidedevolution.com. Her Guided Evolution is available wherever you get podcasts. So iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Podcasts. And I also have a Facebook page called Her Guided Evolution in which I am also opening a Facebook group shortly for other like-minded women who want to get a handle on their time and start being intentional about their time so they can create space for self-care, personal development, and yeah, Her Guided Evolution on Facebook, Her Guided Evolution on Instagram, and HerGuidedEvolution.com. Awesome. So y'all go check that out. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I have for you on this episode. I hope that you heard something that inspires you along your wellness journey. And if so, share it with a friend. Until next time, take care.